You know planes have an attitude? You know, people have attitudes on planes sometimes. A number of months ago, we took as a staff a trip to West Virginia, and the second flight we were on was a small commuter plane. And it had two seats on one side, one on the other, you know, I don't know, 30 rows. So there weren't a lot of people on the plane. But as we were sitting there getting ready to fly, I was in the third row. Uh, Someone came over the loudspeaker and said, "Uh, excuse me, um, we need someone to move from the first three rows to the back three rows to even out the weight so we can take off. So without thinking, I jumped up and said, okay. And I walked to the back of the plane. And as I was walking to the back of the plane, people clapped for me. And, you know, I didn't think I did anything great. But I went and sat down. And as we were starting the taxi, I thought, wait a second. They couldn't take off until I moved from the front to the back of the plane. Do I weigh that much that I make a difference in the plane? Do my 170-some pounds make a difference so the plane couldn't take off? I thought, man, this plane's got to weigh 50,000 pounds. How is it that my 170-something makes a difference? And if it does, should I stay on this plane? Should I trust this plane? And I started to have a bad attitude about, about my space on the plane. And uh, I looked up online, and sure enough, planes have attitudes. And I thought I wanted to describe to you all about the plane's attitude and everything, but you know what? That's way above my pay grade. And so instead, I'm going to ask one of our elders, a good friend of mine, Brian King, who flies 747s for a living, to come and explain to us that uh, aspect of planes. So we're going to talk airplanes. Um, Three of my favorite subjects are my beautiful Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And second is my family, my beautiful family. And third is airplanes. I I just love talking about airplanes. Um, So Rick talked about an experience um, with weight and balance is, is the issue that he's talking about. How many of you have had similar experiences where you've had to move or saw somebody have to move in an airplane. It's, it's not too uncommon. Yeah, it's, it's fairly common. Um, one of the things that we as pilots have to do before we fly is figure out what the weight and balance is. The weight isn't as important as the balance. I think uh, some of you may have seen uh, when they were evacuating Afghanistan a few months ago, that the airplane, one of the airplanes that was designed to take about 200 people had 800 people on board, and it was way overloaded, but they flew out just fine. Performance was affected a little bit, but if it's out of balance, it's very hard for us to control. So, to Rick's point, um, we figure out what the balance is, and, and uh, let's back up a little bit. When I was a kid, things have changed a little bit with... Uh, with Playgrounds. When I was a kid, it was every playground had a merry go or a uh, what were they called? Uh, merry-go-round. Yeah. So uh, merry-go-rounds and seesaws. And uh, a seesaw, if you haven't experienced it, you could seesaw with a, a person that wasn't the same weight as yourself. So a heavier person could be on one side and a, a lighter person on the other side, and the heavier person would have to come closer to the middle to balance out the seesaw. Well, that's effectively what was happening that Rick was talking about. We, we have to balance the airplane about the, uh, the pitch axes, 
which we also call the pitch attitude. So balance is incredibly important and pilots can control an airplane on three axes. There's a pitch axis, a roll axis like so, and a yaw axis. So the pitch axis is, as you can imagine, is the most important. And again, we call that the attitude. So an attitude is like this would not be very good to be in an airplane like this, right? Certainly uh, similar, we don't want to be in a really high nose up pitch attitude. So attitude is incredibly important for us as pilots. And airplanes are designed uh, to be balanced as such, just like we're designed by, by God to be balanced as well. So in our attitudes. So we move people and cargo around um, to make sure that we're in the proper balance for our attitude. But a few, flying in airplanes is the, the safest form of transportation that there is. Uh, the last accident in the United States, the last crash that, that caused a fatality was 12 years ago in 2009. And after that crash, the FAA changed some of the rules and uh, um, some of the training requirements for pilots, and it's called UPRT, it's Upset Prevention and Recovery Training. It's so interesting that they call it upset training. It's uh, unusual attitude or upset recovery training. So it's so important that we send pilots, we spend a full day when we train pilots, new pilots, we, we take a whole day to train them on how to recover from upsets and uh, unusual attitudes. And then we bring them back annually to have them uh, trained again as to how to recover from unusual attitudes. So, as you can see, it's all about attitude. Thank you. Well, thank you, Brian. You know, Brian said it's all about attitude, and that's the case in life, too. Everything is about attitude. And... Uh, Ignore what was in the bag, okay? That didn't, that was turned wrong. Ignore what was in the bag. Um, you know, there are storms all around us. And in order to maintain a proper attitude, we have to realize that we can maintain that attitude in spite of what's going on around us. So the question I want to ask today is how can I maintain the proper attitude or how can I maintain a thankful attitude? Or as it's written in the notes, how can I be thankful in difficult circumstances. And yes, let's get it right out in the open. I saw the game yesterday. Um, I think it's interesting that Pastor Vern asked me to speak today, and it happened to be the weekend after the Ohio State-Michigan game, and my topic that I felt the Lord gave me was the right attitude in spite of atmospheric conditions. And so I think it's kind of ironic that God had me come up here to speak about difficult circumstances after watching that game yesterday. So I've already decided the topic for next year if Pastor Vern asks me to speak the week after Ohio State, Michigan, uh, it's going to be how to be a gracious winner because I want to make sure that God has all the way to, you know, have us win next year. So anyways, how, so the, the, the question is, how do I maintain a proper attitude? What are the keys? In 1 Thessalonians, which is the first verse in your notes, it says, rejoice always, pray continually, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. As we learn to rejoice, as we learn to pray, we'll learn how to give thanks. And Paul said we give thanks in all circumstances. He didn't say we give thanks for all circumstances. Because there are some things we can't give thanks for. 
but we can give thanks in the midst of them. Connie and I worked in Ciudad Juarez for nine years. And we met Heriberto and Chayo. Her name was Rosario, but everybody called her Chayo. We met her through her daughters, Nora and Elsa. They were twins. And when Nora and Elsa were about 13 years old, they began to attend our church. And I invited Chayo to come to church a number of times. In fact, she was a beautician by trade. She had a little room in her house that opened off into the street. And so she had a beauty parlor there. And so I would go and she would cut my hair. It didn't do anything for my beauty. But uh, she would cut my hair on a regular basis and I'd invite her to church. Now her daughters attended and they could make it. But she, she said, well, hermano Ricardo, there's a couple of reasons why I can't come to your church. First is it's too far away. You know, your building that you meet at is too far away. And I thought it was interesting because her, her daughters made it and they were 13 and didn't even drive. Uh, and she said, the second reason I can't come to your church is because Sunday is my busiest day in work. I cut more hair on Sunday than I do the rest of the week together. And so she said, I, I just can't come to your church. Well, within a few months of her telling me that, we rented a house at the end of her block. So it had been like going from here to the mailbox out here. And that's how far it was from her house to the church. And she uh, was struck with cancer. And pretty soon was so sick she wasn't able to work. And Chayo began to come to church. And Chayo made a commitment to Jesus Christ. And she wanted to get baptized, and we were having a baptism service, but she was so weak at the time, and our baptism was in the river, in the Rio Grande, that she was not even able to attend to service because she was just so weak. So she came to our church. She had lost her hair because of chemo. She had a wig on, and she knelt down in front of the congregation, and we baptized her by pouring water on her head. And... Before she was baptized, she wanted to say some things, and so she gave a testimony. And her testimony was, I would rather know Jesus and have cancer than not know Jesus and not have cancer. I feel the emotion I did the day she shared it. She said, I'd rather have cancer and know Jesus than not have cancer and not know Jesus. Chayo died soon after that, and her death was hard for our small congregation, let alone for her family, her husband and three children. But her testimony stuck with our congregation. That was the first time I had to walk with somebody through something like that. But Chayo knew where she was going. Chayo knew who was in control and who was in charge. And she was thankful in the midst of what was happening to her. I'd rather know Jesus. She died as a grateful, thankful believer in Jesus Christ. And I had the privilege of, of doing her funeral service. So how can, how can I do it? How can you do it? How can we be thankful in difficult circumstances? Because I'm not going to stand up here today and pretend that I know what you're all going through. Because I don't know. I don't know what you're going through. I know what some of you are going through. But a lot of you are going through things I can't imagine. And so I don't ho hope you don't think I'm just standing up here saying uh, things that are just platitudes. This is practical how we can go through difficult circumstances. We're going to look at the life of, of a man in the Bible who I guess we could say went through some difficult circumstances. His name was Job. Now when we read about Job in the Bible, it starts off by saying that Job was blameless, upright, feared God, and shunned evil. 
Now, Job wasn't perfect. Job had been attacked by the enemy. Think about this for a second. Within five minutes of time, Job heard that every one of his possessions had been stolen. And all seven of his kids had died in an accident. He heard that within five minutes. And then after that, he was plagued with sores from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, all over his body. And so, how did Job do it? We're going to look at his life. And we're going to again ask the question, how can I be thankful in difficult circumstances? I need to remember that in your first fill in the blank. I need to remember that my thankfulness doesn't depend on my possessions. My thankfulness doesn't depend on my possessions. Job chapter 1, verses 20 to 22 say, At this point, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrong. I remember years ago, I saw a bumper sticker. And the bumper sticker said, and I've seen it a few times since then, he who dies with the most toys wins. Anybody ever see that bumper sticker? I saw one later that I think was more accurate. It said, he who dies with the most toys is still dead. And you know, and if you think about it, that's true. We can't base our thankfulness on what we have or what we don't have. How blessed we feel or how blessed we don't feel. You know, I, I think the, for me, if I'm honest, the most thankful time I was in my life, maybe, or one of the most thankful times in my life, was when I lived in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I lived out there for two years. I was a youth pastor. I was involved in a, st- a small startup church. I worked at McDonald's because they couldn't afford to, uh, to actually pay me to be a youth pastor. And so I got room and board, and I didn't get bored. I got room and board, I guess that... It didn't sound right. And the first year, they gave me $30 a month. And the second year, they gave me $50 a month. I know it was a long time ago, but still $30 and $50 isn't a lot. But, you know, and I had absolutely nothing. When I moved from Albuquerque back to Sarasota, I got everything I owned in the trunk of my car and still had room to put my dad's suitcase because he flew out to drive back with me. I didn't have much, but you know what? I was thankful. And now... If I'm honest, you know, I don't, I don't consider myself rich, but I have way more than I need. And now with more, it's sometimes easier to feel ungrateful and unthankful. Because basing our thankfulness on possessions, circumstances, or anything besides Jesus is unstable. Because Job found out in a moment, whatever you have can be taken away. Jesus is our only rock. Job realized where everything came from. Job realized that the Lord gave and the Lord took away. Job realized that it wasn't based on what he had or what he didn't have or how blessed he had been. Job knew that he had to be thankful no matter what he had. The second thing, I need to remember that God allowed my circumstances. In Job chapter 2 we read, and this is after Job had been afflicted with the sores from the Top of his head to his feet, he said, his wife said to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. He replied, you are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. 
You know, the Bible says Job realized that the Lord gave and the Lord took away. And I know for us it's easy to say, wait, wait a minute, Rick, wait a minute. The enemy took away. The enemy afflicted. It wasn't the Lord. But the Lord gave the enemy permission. We have to realize that nothing comes into our life from the enemy outside of God's permission. And wherever God gives permission to the enemy to come against us, he's provided a way for us to get out, a way for us to have victory, a way for us to escape. Anytime the enemy comes against us, it's because God knows we can stand up against it. Anytime the enemy comes against us, it's because God knows we're strong enough. You know, think about Abraham. The Bible says that God told Abraham, I want you to go and sacrifice your son. Isaac. Now, God had told Abraham, I'm going to give you a son when Abraham was 75. Isaac was born when Abraham was 100. So Abraham waited 25 years for Isaac to be born. We don't know exactly how old Isaac was at the time of this. Maybe a lot of people think he was maybe 12 or 13. Whatever the age was, God said, I want you to go and sacrifice him. Now, was the test for Isaac, I'm sorry, was the test for Abraham or was the test for God? Because God knew what was going to happen, right? So the test wasn't for God. The test was for Abraham. Because God knew the decision Abraham would make, but Abraham didn't. And so God allowed him to go through that circumstance so at the end, Abraham could look back and say, wow, I didn't realize I had the faith in God to do that. And Abraham came out stronger on the other side. And so we need to realize that God allows our circumstances. In, in Jeremiah, the, the prophet Jeremiah has an experience where God says, go down to the potter's house. And he goes down to the potter's house and the Lord explains to Jeremiah that I'm the potter and you're the clay. I'm the potter, you're the clay. I can do what I want to do. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change that just a little bit and I'm going to say, he's the potter and we are the Play-Doh. How many of you remember, oh my goodness, who put this in my bag? Oh, you've got to be kidding. Oh. How many of you remember ever having one of these little things for Play-Doh? Anybody? Yeah, I, I, I thought of this idea, or I think the Lord gave me this idea. And so I went online and I ordered one. And I noticed something immediately when I came and I took it out of the bag or the box. These aren't near as big as they used to be. I don't know if that's the case or if I just got bigger than when they were, when I had one, but it seemed to me they were a lot bigger. And then I got a thing of Play-Doh. And I thought, wow, these sure seemed a lot bigger when I was a kid. But then I opened up the Play-Doh and, and it smells as good as ever. Yeah. We, I felt like what God said is, this can be life at times. And this is us. And life happens. And life puts pressure on us. And life squeezes us. And life is difficult. And life isn't easy. And I don't care who you are or where you're from, you're going to feel this pressure. You're going to feel this squeezing. You're going to feel this difficulty in life. And this little piece in front 
I don't know what the different shapes are. It looks like, kind of like a star and a letter H. I think that's for OH and uh, equal sign. And I don't know what all they are. But depending on which one you put in front, it determines what comes out. And I think what God is saying is, you're going to go through difficulty, but you can choose how it comes out. And I think a lo- it goes a long way if we can just be thankful. You know, I, I don't know about you, but I've been squeezed before, and, and I, don't li- I didn't like what came out. I've been pressed before, and I didn't like how I reacted. When I get squeezed, I want what comes out to honor Jesus. When I get pressed, I want something that honors him. I want my life, even under pressure, to be honoring and glorifying to God. But it's so easy to think nobody knows what I'm going through. Nobody knows the difficulty I've had. How can they understand? But the true test of who we are comes out when we're in those situations where we're squeezed. And you know, the the thing that's interesting to me is that Job lost all of his possessions, all of his children, and God left him with one person in his life, his wife. And she says, curse God and die. I mean, that's not the person you want on your team when things are down. Because I believe that God gives grace to those who are going through difficult times. But he doesn't always promise to give grace to those who are on the outside looking in. You know, it's much easier to go through difficult times than it is to see somebody else go through difficult times, especially if it's somebody you love. You know, I remember, you know, our daughter Hannah sitting here on the first row. And I remember when she was in the hospital at age like three days old, four days old, and we thought she was going to die. And I remember saying, God, let it be me, not her. Please, God, hit me with it. Don't hit her with it. Because I think I can go through it, but I can't go through it watching her do it. And maybe that's what was going on with Job's wife. We don't know. But Job knew that God allowed the circumstances. He said, God gave, God took away. He said, am I going to accept good from God and not bad? Did God bring it? Well, there's a debate. We do know that God allowed it. And so I need to remember that God allowed my circumstances. Number three, and this is one of the most exciting ones, I think, is I need to remember that one day everything will be redeemed. Everything will be redeemed. In Job chapter 19, right almost in the middle of the book, when Job is talking, his friends have been coming against him and pounding him. And Job says, oh, that my words were recorded, that they were written on a scroll. And isn't it awesome that God allowed his words to be written? so we can hear them today, that they were inscribed with iron tool on lead or engraved in rock forever. I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. I remember as a kid I had tonsillitis. Anybody ever have tonsillitis? Okay, what's the, what's the cure for tonsillitis? 
Take them out. Yeah. I was six years old, and I had sore throats. I had sore throats. I had sore throats. And they took me to the doctor, and the doctor said, oh, it's your tonsils. They need to come out. And I was told the lie that everybody's been ever told when they're getting their tonsils out. What's the lie that they tell you just before the surgery? Yeah, afterwards, you can have all the popsicles and all the ice cream you can have. And I remember going to, you know, going to the hospital thinking, popsicles, ice cream, popsicles, ice cream. And I remember they laid me down. The only thing I really remember about that trip is they took this big mask and they put it over my face. And the doctor said, count backwards from 10. And I remember I said, 10. Next thing I knew, I was awake and I thought my throat hurt before. Oh my, did it hurt now. And they're trying to wake me up. And the nurse came in and said, what flavor popsicle would you like? And I said, I don't want a my throat hurt so bad, I didn't want it. Okay, you know, that's been, you know, what? I was six, so that's been, wow, 40 years ago. Um, <laughs> okay, yeah, no, it's been 53 years ago. Wow, that's a long time. But, you know, for the most part, I've forgotten that completely. And, you know, that's the promise of heaven. Job said, Okay, my flesh is dying, but I know my Redeemer lives, and I know he's going to make things right. You know, life is tough. Life isn't easy all the time. We go through difficult times, but like Job, we can know that our Redeemer lives, and one day, just like that tonsil episode is a distant memory that's almost forgotten, heaven is going to take everything bad. And it's going to be erased from our memory. C.S. Lewis said that in heaven, he believes we'll look back at our life and whatever we can remember, and it will all be good. All we'll see is God working. All we'll see is the good things. We won't see anything bad. And we'll look back on our life and we'll say, wow, I've always been in heaven. I've always been with the Lord. Whereas people in hell will look back and not remember anything good. All they remember is the bad. And their opinion will be, I've always been in hell. Heaven is perfect. Job was going through a difficult time. I can't imagine what Job was going through. But in the midst of that, Job said, I know, I know. And what did he know? He said, I know my Redeemer lives. The Lord won't let us hang out to dry no matter how bad it gets. He's alive. You know, there's a verse in, in Revelation it says, he who has, it's, on your, it's in your notes, it's on the screen. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. In difficult times, heaven is where we need to focus. In difficult times, we need to focus on heaven, not on here. The other night, I had a dream, and there's a verse in the Bible that says, old, and in, in the last days, young men will see visions and Old men will dream dreams, and the last year, I've been having a lot of dreams. Now, the one I had last night had to do something with the pumpkin pie before I went to bed, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> that wasn't from the Lord, but a couple nights earlier, I had a dream that just blessed my life. We were in a church service just like this, and the purpose of the church service was it was being announced who was getting promoted, and it wasn't promoted to another grade in school or promoted in their office or job or whatever. It was who was being promoted to heaven. 
And they were announcing different people that were being promoted. And they got up and they went to the back of the auditorium and they walked out. And I guess they died and went to heaven. And it said, the Beachy family was being promoted. And I jumped up and I started screaming and shouting and I was crying because I was so excited because I was being promoted to heaven. And I walked out the door and people said, oh, we're going to miss you. And I was like, oh, I'm not going to miss you. you know? <laughs> I was just so excited because I knew in my heart I was going to heaven. I was going to see Jesus. In difficult times, that's what we got to cling to. We've got to cling to the fact that one day this will be a forgotten memory. And we'll be with Jesus. We need to be like Job and say, I don't care if I'm dying. I know that my Redeemer lives. C.S. Lewis, at one time he, in the mere Christianity, he was talking about people who say, oh, you can't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. And I remember hearing that growing up. Oh, some people are so heavenly minded they're no earthly good. And C.S. Lewis said, that's a lie. And in mere Christianity, he wrote, if you read history, you'll find that Christians who did the most for the present world were those who thought the most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they become so ineffective in this world. Aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither one. You know, there are times in our life when we need to cling to the fact that he's alive. When we lived in El Paso, I've shared a little bit about this before. I went through about six months of deep depression. And I'm not saying I was sad or, you know, things weren't going good. I mean, deep, deep depression. I felt I was in a hole so deep and so dark that I couldn't see out. I couldn't see any light. And it's hard to talk about at times, but during those six months... I had suicidal thoughts. I didn't have suicidal thoughts like, oh, I'm going to, you know, shoot myself or hang myself. I was more along the line, how can I kill myself so it looks like an accident because I can't do that to my family. And it was deep. It was dark. I functioned. I, I was a pastor of a church. I had four children. I was a, I was a husband. I did what I was supposed to do, but I was deep in depression. If you talk to Connie, it was a difficult time. But God brought the right person to El Paso to stay with us for a while. He helped me get through that time, and, and, and praise God, I got through it. We moved back to Sarasota, and there was a difficult time that I went through again. I was in depression. This time I knew what it was. It wasn't as deep, it wasn't as dark, but it was just as serious. And at that time, Pastor Vern and the Church at Abundant Life accepted us and brought me in and, and praise God, brought healing. But it was during those times that all I had to cling to is, God, I don't know what's going on, but I know it's not going to last forever. I know you're in charge. I know you love me, and I'm going to cling to the fact that one day I'm going to be with you. There were times I prayed, Lord, let it be now, please. But God in his sovereignty got me through that time. And so there are times when we need to be just like Job. And we need to say, I don't know what's going on. 
I don't get it, God. Why are you letting this happen? And it's okay to say, I don't know why. Because that's what Job did. But what Job said in the midst of it was, I know, I know my Redeemer lives. We need to remember that what's going on today is temporary. What's coming is eternal. Paul said, these light and momentary afflictions. And I laugh when I read that because I was thinking, come on, Paul. How many times did they try to kill you by stoning you? How many times did you get whipped 40 times? How many times were you in prison? How many times were you shipwrecked? And you're saying these light and momentary afflictions? He said, glory far outweighs them. So I need to remember that one day everything will be redeemed. Number four, I need to remember that the Lord knows what's best for me. And then Job answered the Lord, I'm unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. Then a little bit later, he says, Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You ask, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I do not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. You know, sometimes like Job, we just need to shut up and say, okay, I've talked about things I don't get. I'm not going to question you anymore. At Hannah's first surgery in San Antonio, I can remember we, Connie and I met Dr. Calhoun before the surgery, and he explained what they were going to do and everything. And as we were done meeting with him, he handed me a card. It was his business card in the top left-hand corner, or maybe it was the top right-hand corner. It said, Dr. John Calhoun, comma, Chief cardiothoracic surgeon or surgery so he gave that to me he said call me anytime i'm here i'm available let me know what you need and it was interesting as i was preparing for this message i thought dr calhoun i haven't thought of him well i think of him quite often but i went online and sure enough i found dr calhoun at bear county medical center in san antonio texas had his email address i shot him an email and said i don't know if you remember me or not but uh, my daughter Hannah had her first three surgeries there, and you are her surgeon, and he, he, you know, and she's just turned 28, and we're so thankful for what you did. And he, he emailed me back and said, I love getting these kind of letters. He said, it just makes my day to realize what God has done in me. And I said, I'm going to be speaking this Sunday, and I'm going to bring you up as an example. And uh, he said, well, I'm glad that God is using you. And, and so the second time we came back for surgery, you know, and, and I'm going to admit, Dr. Calhoun has more brains in his pinky than I got in my entire body. Okay, I'm just going to, I'm going to be up front with this right, right from the beginning, you know, like Brian, you know, he's got more, he knows more about stuff than, you know, and, and the second time we went to surgery, Dr. Calhoun met us again. Oh, he's so, oh, she's looking so good and everything. He hands me his card, Dr. John Calhoun, comma, head cardiothoracic surgery. And I said, Wow. You do brain surgery now. And I was serious. <laughs> and Dr. Calhoun, in this kind way, looked at me and said, uh, Mr. Beachy, last time you were here, I was chief of the department, and now I'm the head of the department. And I went, oh. This guy thinks I'm an idiot. You know, I don't know if that's how Job felt. 
I was more embarrassed. I think Job was just brought to the end of himself. And he realized, wow, I don't have anything to say. Who am I to question God? Who am I to ask? Because I know God has what's best for me, and that's what Job realized. You know, it might not seem like it right now. I don't know what you're going through. But I do know one thing. God knows what's best. And we can trust him. And last of all, as we finish up, I need to remember that God uses me to bless others in spite of my pain. God uses me to bless others in spite of my pain. In Job 42, we read, After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. I want you to underline that word, after. It's, it, if you see, it's all in, in caps there in the, in the verse. It's interesting. When did God give Job back twice what he had before? After he had prayed. Not before he prayed. Not during his prayer, but after. Just, to, you know, I like to picture how the interactions go on. And, you know, the Lord looked down and said, okay, you three friends of Job, you didn't talk right about him, you didn't talk right about me, and so I'm going to ask Job to pray for you, and then he's, you're going to be healed, and you're going to be blessed. Now, if I was Job, and I'm sitting here having lost all of my family, having lost all of my possessions, and I'm still covered head to toe in sores, and God looks down at me and says, I want you to pray for your three friends who weren't very nice to you. I think my attitude would have been, uh, excuse me? You expect me in this condition to pray for them? You expect me in the midst of all the pain and suffering I'm going through to pray for them? But the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says Job prayed for his friends. You know, about, I don't know, I think it was three or four months before Chayo passed away in Wadis, I broke my right hand. I was at a guy's shop in Wadis. He was fixing my truck. It was kind of dark. And I was kind of nosing around his shop, and I didn't see the pit. And I walked into his pit, which was about four foot deep. And uh, he, he said he, was, he could see me out of the corner of his eye, and all of a sudden he looked back, and I was gone, and he thought the rapture had happened. And so he came over right away with a flashlight, and he looked down, and he saw me in the pit. And when he shined the flashlight, right beside him, or right beside me was a motor, a complete motor. And on this side, of it, there was some rebar sticking out of the concrete. And I fell down right in between. And when I fell, I stuck my hand out, and somehow my pinky got caught in the side, and it just kind of ripped my pinky back. And he said, are you okay? And I said, I think I broke my hand. So he, I got out of the pit. He fixed my, finished my car or truck, and I drove back across the bridge in my five-speed with a broken right hand. Found out you can shift with your left hand if you're steering with your knee. And, and I was praying the whole way, oh, Lord, please help there not be any traffic on the bridge. There's no way I'm going to be able to make it if there is. I got there. There was no traffic on the bridge. I got across, and, and it was okay. But the day I had surgery, they told me, um, now, you're going to need to take at least one of these before you go to bed. It was a Tylenol 3 with codeine because if you wait till you have pain, it's, not, it's going to be too late. So they said, take one of these, maybe two before you go to bed. Well, if you've had surgery... Uh, you know how you feel after surgery. I was like, yeah, okay, uh-huh, yeah. A friend drove me home. I went right to bed. I woke up about 2 o'clock in the morning, and my arm was on fire. 
And so I think I took three. I don't know what it was. It, it took the pain away, I'll tell you that, you know. But when Shia was at the end of her life, I was over there visiting one day, and her husband said, we don't have anything for pain. They just don't have anything available to give her for pain. And God said, you've got a bottle of Tylenol 3 with codeine. And I went home. I had taken those three the first night, and that was it. And I took them back to her, and I gave them to her. And that was the only thing that she had at the end of her life to give some relief. And it was that moment, for the first time, I thanked God for a broken hand. Because I realized me having a broken hand allowed me to have something to give her, to bless her. You know, I said that when we were here in Sarasota, I went through a difficult time as well. I was part of a, a church and, and we quit meeting and, and that was difficult for me. I felt like a failure. Um, you have, there's a story, a famous story, I've never seen it. All I know it's called the scarlet letter. A lady had to wear a letter on her, on her dress because of uh, sin. And I remember I felt like I had an F on my forehead for failure. I felt like, you know, I just, it was really difficult. I remember the night we, we had a meeting and everything realized, we, we realized it was going to end. And after the meeting, my wife had said, hey, on the way home, can you stop at Walmart? And I said, sure, I'll stop at Walmart. So I came down to this Walmart here in Cattleman. I guess it's over here. And I remember walking into Walmart thinking, what in the world am I here for? Connie said something. I don't remember what she wanted me to get. At the time, I didn't have a cell phone. Um, I know that's hard to believe. If you're a young person, you don't have a cell phone. I got my first cell phone when I was like 42, you know. I was really old. And, um, but I'm walking around the Walmart thinking, what am I doing here? My, my life is coming to an end, Lord. What is going on? When I heard someone say, Rick. And I turned around, and it was a guy and his wife that I had gone to youth group with at Ashton years ago. I hadn't seen him for years. And I walked up, and I said, Tim, how you doing? How you doing, Debbie? Good to see you guys. And, you know, I was just, uh, you know, trying to put on the thing that everything was good. And I said, how are you doing? And he said, this has been the toughest week of our life. And I said, why? And he said, Debbie just found out she's got cancer. I said, oh, my goodness. I stood there, and I looked at him, and first thing that came to my mind is, can I pray for you? And they said, would you? Remember, I hugged them both. We prayed. At the end of the prayer, I said, amen. I opened up. I mean, I'm wiping tears. I looked. They're both crying. And they said, thank you so much. They said, God brought you to Walmart tonight to pray for us. And they walked away. And as clear as I'm standing here today, God spoke and said, it's up to you. Do you want to wallow in pity? Or do you want to go forward? I'm not saying I got out of it that quick, but that was the beginning of the healing right after it happened. Because I realized that in the midst of my pain, God could still use me to bless people. As I said earlier, I, I'm not going to stand up here and pretend that I know what you're going through. I was walking in Home Depot on Friday when somebody called me and told me about an extended family member and the horrible 
situation they're in right now, and my heart just broke. And I know a few situations that people are going through in church, but I don't know everything. But I want you to know something. God does. God knows exactly what you're going through. And he might not have caused it, but he allowed it because he knows that he's going to be with you in it. And he's going to get you through it. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 100. And it's going to be in your notes up on the screen. And as we close today, I want us to to listen. I want you to listen to this as I read this psalm. It says, shout to the Lord, or shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Now, sometimes I think when we read, we just read and don't think about what the words say. But the writer of this psalm says, shout. And I think in order to understand what he's saying, we need to do what he says. So he said, shout for joy to the Lord. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Today, the beginning of healing can be the decision to choose to be thankful in spite of, and that's the last fill in the blank. And I don't have a fill in the blank for you because God's going to give it to you. Today, I choose to be thankful in spite of. Maybe it's today I choose to be thankful in spite of a financial crisis. Today, I choose to be thankful in spite of a health issue. Today I choose to be thankful in spite of something that's happening in my family. Today I choose to be thankful in spite of, and it can be many things. But the way to maintain the attitude that God wants us to have, that thankful attitude, is to choose to be thankful in spite of whatever's going on.